0: Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast and Happy New Year. I'm sure it's no surprise to hear that I absolutely love this time of the year. I sit down with a notebook and a calendar and I start making plans and setting goals. I write down the places that I want to visit, people that I wanna spend more time with this year, races that I'm gonna sign up for, projects that I want to make happen. I mark family and friends' birthdays on the calendar and I start looking at celebration ideas i absolutely love it and for me the new year isn't about you know let's make new year's resolutions or cut things out of life it's actually about adding things in and getting excited about the year and about the future So of course, uh, the last week or so, just like everybody else I'm sure has been an absolute blur. I have had no routine, no structure. The kids are off school. We have been building Lego. Oh my gosh, so much Lego. We've been playing games. We've been watching movies. What did we watch? We actually not Christmas themed movies, but we watched School of Rock, absolute classic. Jack Black is just an icon. And actually we watched Cool Runnings. What a movie. So we've been loving that. We've been cooking, we've been baking, we've been going out to the park. And top tip, we've been going out for walks in the evening with torches. Now for anyone who wants to get their kids out walking in the winter, just give them a torch. It makes the whole thing so much more magical, exciting, fun, everybody loves it. So lots of walks with torches and we have had so many visitors. We've had friends, family, dogs, chaos so there's been oh, there's been so much wine cocktails all the christmas food and actually it was our first christmas since getting married last year our first blended family christmas so my son my stepchildren it's just been oh it's all been going on however i do love routine and i am so ready to get the decorations down get back to life back to school and work training for the marathon i'm ready for all of it So I hope that you've all enjoyed the festive period, whether it's been busy or quiet, whether it's been restful or chaotic, and I hope you're feeling ready to embrace the new year. We have got an amazing lineup of guests for the podcast coming up in January. We're gonna be discussing careers, happiness, the pursuit of success, fitness, diet, strength training, endurance training, mindfulness, all of it, we have got you. And I couldn't think of a better way to start the year on this podcast than with today's guest, Dr. Hazel Wallace. Hazel is a good friend of mine and a very popular guest on this show. In fact, she has, I think she's the first guest to have joined us three times. This is the third time welcoming Hazel onto the power, Hour podcast in just four years. So Hazel welcome back and happy new year.
1: Oh, thank you so much. What an introduction. I'm so excited to be back on the power hour podcast
0: yes the hat trick let's do it yeah. and of course start of the year first week of january hazel how are you feeling are you typically typically this time of year are you a new year's enthusiast do you dread january or are you somewhere in between
1: i uh, i really echo your sentiments that you said where i had a great christmas like a very unstructured couple of days but i am very much ready for a big january um I know that people find New Year's resolutions either they hate them or love them. I like them and I don't see it as like a time for me to renew myself or change myself but work on things um, that I really want to achieve and there's something about January that just makes um, opportunity seem like it's something that we can all have a really good go at so I'm excited for a big year and I'm excited to set some goals myself so that's my plan for today as well map out what I want to achieve.
0: Yeah you and I share that we're very similar (laughs) in, in that way you know we both talk a lot about routine and about habits and about goal setting it's something that yeah you know when you're I think Quite entrepreneurial i think you have to you know look at all the things that you're doing and kind of schedule out time especially i think for social things for family for friends otherwise we can fall into that trap of just work 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 and before you know it it's December again so yeah and I actually think it it's become quite a divisive thing don't you think this new year new you there's so many people that kind of I think almost repel uh, almost like repulsed now by the idea of setting resolutions or they roll their eyes and they go oh January again but I do think that there's something I don't know something great about just looking at a fresh fresh sheet and going ah what do I want to do
1: yeah. And I think, you know, someone challenged me on this recently where they said, you're always setting goals. Why can't you just be happy about where you are? And I'm like, you can be really happy in the present moment with what you have and be really grateful for that. But that doesn't mean that you can't think in the future and think about what you want to achieve next. And it's not about being unhappy. It's about building on what you want to achieve already. And I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive. Like I'm very happy, but the more I achieve, the more I want to achieve. And, you know, maybe people think that's a bad thing, but I think that's just like, you know, for me, it's really exciting. Hmm
0: yeah and it's also who you are you know that's who I am (laughs) you know so the last time you were on the podcast you told us about the incredibly challenging reality of working as a doctor for the NHS in hospital during COVID now I know that was just I mean it's just the most incredibly difficult time and you know you talked to us through what that was like to really be there you know on the front line as a doctor we also talked about your career as an author and as a podcast host and the founder of the food medic the empire that we just Mm -hmm. continues to just grow and grow and just help offer advice and support and education to so many people and we also talked about taking time to reflect to prioritize living life as well as just working really hard Uh, and this is a journey that i feel like we've both kind of been on in the last year probably for different reasons but last thing i'm going to say about new year really i guess looking forward to 2023 is the one specific thing or is there something in your mind that you're going to be focusing on for this year
1: I have a couple of things that I'm focused on. I think, like you mentioned, it's very easy to think purely about work or personal development goals when you're thinking about the new year. But I also have travel goals and relationship goals that I want to work on. Um, I guess specifically for me, it is finding that work-life balance. And this was the first year that I went totally... Uh, in on myself and my brand and working for myself so it's the first year not being part of the NHS which was a big scary leap Um, and that requires a lot of um, planning ahead because now I have to support myself and make sure the business is growing and that we're helping the people we're supposed to be helping Um, so there's lots of goals there I've got lots of plans with the food medic i'm building out a course um all of that's really exciting in my focus for next year but also still working towards finding that uh sweet spot between making sure i'm building what i want to build in my career but also giving time to build as a person as well Mm,
0: yes and you mentioned the word balance which of course is just (laughs) i think it's I don't know if it's possible, but I think it's, it's very difficult. And I think when you do achieve it, it doesn't last for long. So, no. yeah, this idea of balance actually made me think at the end of the end of December actually all throughout December I saw a lot of articles about end of year burnout especially on LinkedIn and I heard a lot of friends as well talking about this too and kind of I was actually in a sauna I was was in a sauna (laughs) after doing a workout and there was two ladies in front of me I don't know them but I they were talking very loudly which you know if you're in a sauna and you're talking loudly come on Uh, but they were talking about this like oh you know a few more days to push through and I've got to get this done I've got to get that done and one of them was a yoga teacher so she was talking about oh I've got this many classes to teach and just kind of she said that her body felt broken she was like my body's exhausted my mind's exhausted I just need a week to just lay under a duvet because I'm so burnt out and I just heard so many people talking about this end of year like dragging themselves to the finish line and surely that's not where we want to end up at the end of the year so if anyone's listening to that and thinking oh my gosh maybe maybe (laughs) that yoga teacher from the sauna is listening (laughs) or anyone else (laughs) what could we do and I guess starting now what could we do this year to ensure that we don't make those same mistakes again or fall into those same patterns and same routines that end up just leave us feeling utterly exhausted at the end of the year.
1: Yeah I come, I completely resonate with this and I think our last conversation on this podcast I felt like I was recovering from burnout and I mean even last about two weeks ago you and I had lunch and I still had a bit of a breakdown over kind of past burnout that still I think still takes time to recover from and as someone who's gone through it it's something that I'm really proactively trying to support people from it happening too because it doesn't matter what job you work in or whether you have children or not or whether you work shift work or not we're all at risk of burnout and Um, I think the most important thing is having boundaries between your work and your personal life. And that's easier said than done um, because lots of us bring work home with us. Some people work on the weekends or work for themselves. Sometimes we work in really demanding careers that require us to kind of go the extra mile in order for us to climb that ladder. And I definitely have experienced that as someone who worked in medicine um, in a hospital setting where you kind of always have to be pushing to get up um, and continue to progressing. So learning where your boundaries are between work and life is really important. And also early recognition. So if you do feel like, oh, my body's broken, I'm not sleeping, I'm losing compassion. I actually don't enjoy my work anymore. They're red flags that you are, if not already in burnout, and you need to kind of look at what's happening And how you can prioritize your health. And when it comes to kind of reviewing your schedule and prioritizing you over your work, again, I know this is easier said than done. And I've got people who will say, you know, I have to work shift work. I have children at home as well. So it's much easier for you if you don't have children, you work for yourself. But I would say, you know, review your schedule regularly and reduce or eliminate unnecessary things that aren't serving you. So maybe it's that you're saying yes to every social engagement, but you don't wanna do every social engagement. Or you're trying to achieve too many things at one time, and maybe you go through a season of doing one thing, and the next season you focus on another thing so you're not overwhelming, overwhelming yourself with too many things in your to-do list. And on top of all those things, like the most important thing is looking after you. And that does involve getting enough sleep, exercising regularly, eating a well-balanced, healthy diet, and taking time out every single day, whether that's for five minutes of journaling or it's a 10 minute coffee with your partner, or it's just going out and spending some time in the garden or walking the dog. But those little timeouts help to uh, center you and kind of take you away from you know, your work day and whatever other stresses are going out. And also leaning on your professional and your personal support system, be that your colleagues, that your partner your friends and putting your hand up when you are struggling and saying you know look I'm in a bit of a tricky situation I'm finding that I'm really starting to burn out and I just need to kind of get control and sometimes it's really helpful to just chat it out and someone to say well you know why don't you just do this or look at doing this and I find that really helpful when I'm having a stressful time just speaking to my partner about it and then once I've said it out loud I'm like oh that's the solution I know where what I need to do now
0: Mm, Yeah. And also knowing that I think I totally agree when you speak to other people about it, it kind of validates it for yourself and also lets them know that you need support because they're Mm. also there maybe in a few weeks time when you're kind of back into it again to kind of give you those reminders and say, hey, you know, maybe let's, I don't know, just go to bed early or maybe let's not go out to that event, as you said. and actually. You know, you said about timeouts, you said daily. And I think for so many people, the idea of having a daily timeout, whether it's 10 minutes, whether it's a whole power hour, it seems impossible. You know, they look to the future and they say, oh, I'm gonna book you know, I've got that week coming, week off coming up in however many months. And actually, yeah, I completely agree with you that we have to make it regular. You can't just keep going and going and going and going and hope that when you have that one week off, maybe in May, that you're going to, you know, it's going to fix everything. I think just trying to, even if it's not daily, even if it's five days a week, four days a week, creating mm-hmm. some time and space to kind of break it up is is so important.
1: Yeah, absolutely
0: okay so hopefully there's some yeah got you thinking there about how you're gonna approach creating a routine, things that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, exercise, sleep, you know, discussing uh, with with other people, mindfulness, all these things. It's not that we have never heard them before, but I think it's incredibly important to have reminders. And also, if I need to say it again, Hazel Wallace, Dr. Hazel Wallace, I feel like whenever (laughs) things come from a doctor, it's far more uh, impressive than coming from me. And with that in mind, I, oh my gosh, the next thing that I want to talk to you about is a pretty big topic. Okay. It's huge, huge topic. And firstly, I'll start by saying a big thank you to you, Dr. Hazel, on behalf of all women and girls, a personal thank you as someone who has suffered in the past for years with PMS, PMDD, uh, fertility challenges and miscarriage. Uh, I really want to thank you for writing your most recent book, The Female Factor, because as i said coming from a doctor and seeing the importance and the spotlight and the attention on this topic which for so long i think has kind of been overlooked it's been people roll their eyes people talk about you know women's problems and women's issues like they talk about it with a whisper voice or they kind of say Mm. you know just you know just brush it under the carpet because we don't want to talk about it for lots of different reasons it has been incredibly validating for someone like me with the challenges that i've just listed to read your book so thank you so much
1: oh thank you for saying that like that's exactly um the impact that i wanted to have with the book and I think it you know it's it's a really uniting conversation with with amongst women because it's such a such a taboo topic still like women are still so underserved and overlooked when it comes to health
0: exactly and also i think it's important to to note right now that this podcast of course has female and male listeners now i'm sure that when i sometimes i have male guests sometimes i have female guests we discuss all different topics from finance to success to physical health to mental health and it's for everyone and anyone to listen to now this conversation is no different and i think it's important to highlight that right at the beginning because sometimes when people talk about the female factor female health women's health men maybe think, well, this conversation is not for me. You know, this isn't about me. It doesn't, you know, I don't I don't know anything about this stuff. And actually, yeah, it's not for me. So what, what would you say to any male listeners who might think that, yeah, that this conversation is not for them?
1: So the reason I wrote the book is because the male body has historically been the default body in medical research. And we just make the assumption that women are just smaller versions of men. And so this means that women are underserved, undertreated, underdiagnosed in lots of health conditions. And I think it's really easy to make the assumption that um, women's health is just to do with our ovaries and ability to conceive, when actually our health also includes all of the aspects that affect both men and women, our heart health, our gut health, everything, our brain health. And this is why I think the book is so important for not just women or people with menstrual cycles, but both sexes, all genders, because these things impact everyone. And mm-hmm. if we're, you know, doing one group of people a disservice when it comes to their health, then it's going to impact other people as well. And you know, I've got lots of men who buy the book for their partners or they buy it for themselves to learn more about their partners, you know, whether it's supporting them, across their menstrual cycle through the menopause through pregnancy and you know like so many coaches and pts who work with women to better understand you know how are our hormones affecting our strength and energy levels or our nutritional needs or how we sleep or our mood and there are so many things that we just don't fully understand or we're just not told about because I don't know about you but when I learned about puberty and what was going to happen. No one told me that, you know, I was going to feel bloated at this time of the month or my mood might change at this time of the month or I might feel really lethargic or I might feel super energetic. And when I started to really understand that, and also I didn't learn about this in medical school either. You know, this is post, this is postgraduate education, self-directed learning that I had to go about and seek out myself. And as a woman, I found it so empowering and it changed my relationship with my cycle and my hormones. And I no longer just view it as this thing that happens to me, but something that I can live in alignment with now that I understand what's actually happening.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, I think, a few years ago. Um, just as you said, kind of self-directed learning because I was suffering with different things and because this, I just felt like there was such a almost people just kind of diminished the symptoms that I had or the feelings that I had, because it was just, oh, well, you know, that's what it's like to have a cycle. That's what it's like to have, uh, you know, fluctuations in your hormones, even if it does affect your sleep, even if it gives you night sweats, even if it affects your, your sex drive, even if it affects your energy levels, your ability to train for a marathon, all of these things, it was kind of just like, well, yeah, that that's it Adrienne. you know and and post pregnancy post birth post miscarriage i saw such huge changes in my body throughout the entire month Mm. that i just thought hang on what is going on here and i feel like if it was a list of symptoms to do with anything else and i'd spoken to you know a friend or a partner or a healthcare professional they'd probably be like wow like this is you know there's something big going on here you need to figure out like why you've had all of these changes and why it's impacting you so much but as soon as i even you know i think mentioned the fact that it was related to you know post-pregnancy or post-miscarriage or hormones people kind of just was like well you know yeah that's you know as if to say well that's life and you know and we've all heard as well like oh as you get older you know your body changes and i think so many women are just suffering month after month, week after week, day after day. And they don't even for themselves kind of give themselves credit. They just think, oh, well, this is it. I just have to get on with it. And so, yeah, I agree. I think it's incredibly important for us women to empower ourselves with this knowledge of the body, what's going on in there, what we can do, what you know, kind of the myths, the fads, and also for the men in our lives, whether that's um, fathers of of daughters, whether that's uh, partners who actually, once you share this information with them, they're probably going to be like, oh, wow, great. Like, I didn't understand this and it's going to help, you know, communication. It's going to help. I actually have a cycle app, which tracks all the different things, the symptoms, whatever. And my partner, my husband, he has that on his phone as well. And every now and again, he'll see a notification. And sometimes he'll like show me, he's like, oh, he's like, you know, and he knows what's going on and he can be a bit more understanding, a bit more empathetic. He'll know, for example, when we're training together if we're out on a long run, he'll know like, oh, okay, this week is like my, what I call power week. And I'm like training hard, pushing hard. But then other weeks he'll know that it's like, okay, like how are you feeling? Do you want to push it hard? Do you want to take it easy? And it's not this, like, again, like I say, whispery thing of like, oh, it's two days till her period. Can't say the word. It's just Mm. like this normal, normal thing, just like eye health, hair, skin health, brain health. It's just health.
1: Mm. I love that. I love when you told me that. I think that's such an, it's an important dialogue to have with your partner. And it's not an easy conversation. And the reason it's not easy is because it's not a normalized conversation. And I know when I first got into a relationship with my current boyfriend um in the beginning I think he found it quite like uh, wow she talks about her cycle a lot and it's you know like I have never had such an open dialogue with a woman about it but now it's so normal and it makes me feel like if I am struggling I can tell him about it and he knows mm. to give me a bit more space maybe be, be a bit more understanding um at certain points and I think that's just that just makes the symptoms a lot more bearable um as well
0: yeah and speaking of symptoms because you know in the book you do an incredible job of breaking down everything from diet, sleep, uh, exercises, all these different things. It's, it's, it's a huge book, actually, it's beautiful. It's like, really stands out in my, in my office on the side. And, but yeah, you talk about all these different things. And of course, again, there are some kind of myths, I think. Oh, I've definitely heard myths over the last, I don't know, 20 years about, you know, foods that you should eat and shouldn't eat or things that make uh, PMS symptoms worse. Or, you know, I've heard people saying about, if you have bad PMS, you should cut out sugar and you should cut out carbs. And then I'm thinking, well, gosh, if there's anything that's going to make my PMS worse or make me feel worse is cutting out sugar and cutting out carbs. I'm like, that is not a life that I want to live. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or, you know, people will say, oh, well, if you have bad periods, you should just go on birth control. You know, there's so much, I think, misinformation. So I think it'd be great to kind of start off with maybe, maybe one or two myths that we can just bust and get rid of for good so when it comes to our cycle you know reducing symptoms discomfort low mood pain are there any myths that you know are just absolute rubbish that we can just discount
1: yeah absolutely I think the important thing to say as like to start off this conversation um and the reason why the book is kind of so powerful is that Obviously, across our menstrual cycle, we have fluctuating hormones. The key ones are oestrogen and progesterone, but there are other sex hormones as well. And they not only orchestrate when we bleed or when we ovulate, but they also are orchestrating our metabolism, our bone health, our heart health, our gut health, our brain health, even the way we sleep. And so it's not all in your head that you can't sleep in the second phase of your cycle. It's not all in your head that you crave chocolate just before your period. These are basically your body sending messages to you because of what's happening. And so I think it's so important that we do understand those things so that we can account for them. And so let's take the one that you just mentioned, um, sugar and PMS, which comes up a lot. Um, I recently talked about it and I do get a lot of pushback about it, but I have thoroughly gone through the research on this because I think um, nutrition, it, I'm a nutritionist, a registered nutritionist, in addition to being a doctor. So food is like my thing. And when it comes to the menstrual cycle, we have different nutritional needs at different phases of our cycle. Um, and PMS, so premenstrual syndrome, a lot of, um, there's a lot of myths about what you should and shouldn't eat. And oftentimes I know I've been told that sugar worsens PMS. And when I looked into the research for the book, I found from the research based on all the evidence that we have, which isn't a huge amount, but based on the evidence we have, there's no link between the total amount of carbohydrate or the type of carbohydrate and sugar is obviously a type of carbohydrate and the risk of PMS. But what they found was what we call reverse causation. And so women who struggle with PMS experience higher cravings before their period and they're more likely to eat sugary foods in response. And so that's why we see the link. And the reason why we see these increased cravings is because in the second part of your cycle, so the luteal phase, and um, this is just after ovulation and before the next period, your um, women have a higher... Metabolic rate. So they burn more calories at rest. And while this is variable from woman to woman, on average, that's 300 calories extra a day that we're burning, which means you're naturally going to be more hungry because you need more energy. And if we have cravings, if you read any women's magazine, they will tell you to ignore those cravings, have a glass of water, have some gum, go for a run, ignore it. (laughs) I would say no be more intuitive what does your body need do you need to have more complex carbohydrates do you need to have an extra spoonful of oats do you need to have some more whole grains at your lunch but most of the time we don't do that and instead we just get really ravenous and that's why we require more sugar more energy really really quickly and it's fine to have the odd cookie and to have some ben and jerry's if you are pms in but if you want to feel like you're kind of getting a handle on your energy levels, getting a handle on your cravings. Just be more uh, be more proactive around meal times and make sure you're getting in more high fiber, complex carbohydrates like those whole grains, those oats, those beans and pulses, which will keep you energized and make sure that you're not getting those dips in energy, which will also have an impact in your mood and make you feel like um, you will just kind of get to the end of the day and you just want to raid the kitchen for some high energy foods
0: i think what you do sometimes so like the one-off you know like you described then like you have the craving and and sometimes of course you might be able to have extra oats or have i don't know an extra egg in the morning with protein to have, add the extra calories but sometimes let's be honest sometimes you just want to have as you said that ben and jerry's or that bar of chocolate and it's doesn't matter. Like, I think if you think about the whole month, so that's also for people who maybe we didn't say at the start, like a cycle, your menstrual cycle is typically between what, 28 days, 30 days. It's like, it's like a month, right? It's not just the five days of your period so throughout your cycle if most of the time you have a well-balanced diet and you exercise well and you sleep well and then you have those couple of days where you're like oh you know what give me the chocolate bar give me the muffin mm-hmm. give me whatever then it's just one time i think it's also fine as opposed to that, that binary thing that okay sugar's gonna make it worse or i actually read one recently now again this might be a myth that you might uh, confirm
1: mm. about
0: red wine now i drink red wine that is probably my favorite drink if i'm gonna have a drink of alcohol it's usually. Usually red wine and whilst i was there reading all reading all about pmdd it was like cut out alcohol especially red wine (laughs) and i just almost shed a tear because i was like oh come on you've got to be kidding so is it a similar thing please tell me when it comes to alcohol and wine or is that actually going to make symptoms worse
1: I'm not sure about the red wine in specific. I'd need to go look and see if there's any research specifically looking at wine and the risk of PMS and PMDD. But there is a link between alcohol in general mm. and worst symptoms of PMS. Um, and obviously the dose makes the poison. So if you're having yeah. a very small amount with your meal and it's not you know causing you to feel drunk or have a hangover, then it's unlikely to cause problems. The only thing is alcohol is inflammatory and around that time you wanna kind of dampen down your inflammation as much as possible. So I I generally advise to reduce alcohol consumption in that late phase just before your next period to help keep a handle um, on your PMS symptoms. And also because we can feel more emotional and more tearful, oftentimes alcohol can make that worse. Um, It's something I'm experimenting myself where I don't actually drink alcohol the week before my cycle because I suffer with PMS also. And while I can't say that's causative, I know that it can contribute. And so at that time, I need to sleep more. I need to watch my alcohol intake. I need to have balanced meals. um, I need to make sure I feel supported. And all of those things make sure that I have a better cycle and a better experience. So it's very it's very personal some people you know will find they sail through their cycle and they don't even notice and their period will come month on month and that's fine for them
0: yes yeah I have friends who still say that to me they're like oh just it's like a surprise they're just like oh my period's here today wow (laughs) whereas I'm like I know my cycle very well and that actually brings me on to the topic of exercise and how we can use this information and this knowledge of our bodies to inform our training now as you know I'm training for the marathon and I actually as soon as I knew that I had the place the first thing I do you know obviously I look at uh, a plan and obviously as a as a coach I can create my own training plan and I looked at the plan and I look at it and then I overlay with it my cycle and I look okay which is going to be week one as I said that for me is when I have the most power when I have the most energy the most endurance I can do hard runs and then when am I going to be feeling low when am I going to be struggling when am I going to feel like I need to rest and also motivation it's not just about the physical feelings for me I know that in week four of my cycle my my mental state is different. My, my emotions are different. My motivation is different. Like, honestly, it's so strange for me. I can, the thought of like lacing up and going for a run, it just feels like an effort. I don't want to do it. I'm kind of almost annoyed. You know, the idea I'm like, oh my gosh. And then a week later in power week, bring it on. She's back. I want to go. I've got the energy. So because I know that I'm now not making it harder for myself by, by having like a half marathon on that week, instead on that week, I might have a 5k, I might go to Pilates and I might just take a few days off and then push the long run to the next week. So it's really, really, really been beneficial for me. I also have some athlete friends who I know talk to their coaches about their cycle. Some of them, uh, you know, especially with big competitions, like the imagine you're going to the world championships, you want to know where you're going to be in your cycle. So when it comes to exercise, regardless of whether you're training for an endurance event, Olympic athlete, or you just love, I don't know, hitting the gym, how much can we use this information? What are the first things, I suppose, the fundamentals that we should consider when it comes to exercise in relation to our cycle?
1: First of all, I love that you are that in tune with your cycle and you know, um, when you're your strongest and when you need to pull back because that is step one um, you know every time I talk about this I caveat with we have research but we need more research and the most important evidence or the, that you can gather as a person is to start tracking your cycle for at least three months so that you can see a pattern because I can tell you at this part of your cycle you'll feel stronger you'll feel weak but you might feel actually the opposite of that so Use what I'm going to say as guidelines, but don't use it as gospel. Um, and so first of all, I love this conversation because I think we would be a lot kinder to ourselves and more compassionate if we all understood, understood how our menstrual cycle impacts our strength and our energy levels. So at the beginning of your menstrual cycle, so that's when you're having your period or menstruation, you might notice that your motivation is low and you're not performing at your best. And when we pool all the evidence together from the research, that's what we see. Um, But there is some evidence to say that actually exercise, so low to moderate exercise during this time can help with menstrual symptoms and cramps. So if you feel like exercising, it's completely safe and it may even help boost your mood and help improve symptoms. So maybe it's just about tweaking what kind of exercise you're doing. Like you just mentioned, Adrienne, maybe don't do your long run, but maybe you do a short run or you do a slow run. Um, after that first kind of five to seven days when your period ends, you're going into your late follicular phase and estrogen begins to rise and it peaks just before ovulation. And this is probably what you describe as your power week because women typically feel stronger, more energized, and they recover faster. Motivation's also higher. And so this would be a great week to maybe structure your harder runs, your harder lifts, what kind of what it depends on what kind of exercise you enjoy doing but maybe you can challenge yourself a bit more during that phase. And then around ovulation, you you have that kind of oestrogen still high and also testosterone peaks around this time. So you still feel strong, you still feel energized. This is a great time to put in those harder runs, those harder training sessions as well. Then moving into the second half of our cycle, so we're in the luteal phase now. Oestrogen's gone down, but it's coming back up and progesterone's at its highest. Um, You know, there's some school of thought that progesterone may counteract some of those muscle strengthening benefits of oestrogen. So you might find it slightly harder uh, to train and your recovery might be slightly slower, especially closer to our next period. And so later in that luteal phase, because we start to retain more water. Our temperature is half a degree to one degree higher. And so our sleep is also affected, which means our kind of precision and our balance is also off. So if you are kind of into skill based training right now, isn't the best time to do that. So I generally would say drop the weight or drop the intensity around this time. But again, PMS and exercise can support one another. So it's not about stopping completely. It's about listening to your body, check in every day. How do I feel? Would yoga feel good? Would Pilates feel good? Or maybe you you actually do feel amazing and you do want to go for that long run. So do whatever feels good for you. And so in a nutshell, that's really how our strength and energy levels will fluctuate over a typical cycle.
0: Wow. You see, do you see how complex this is? Can you imagine like we've spent years and years and years and we didn't know this information. So we're going out for that run and thinking, oh, why does this run feel awful? Or we're tr- we're trying to do something in the gym that we can normally do, the weight that we normally lift. And we just, and you know, your body feels weak. There's times when, as I say, emotionally, the motivation people say to me, often, you know, I talk a lot about motivation and people will say, well, you know, are you motivated all the time? Or, you know, sometimes I just feel, yeah, just really demotivated motivated and flat and low mood and we kind of berate ourselves with this like come on just get up and do it and if we had this knowledge I honestly I think if I'd had this knowledge for my entire life Mm -hmm. is a game changer it's so important it's changed everything not just from you know the way i train but also as i mentioned my partner communicating like it would have changed so many things i think in my life had i had this information sooner and i just hope that moving forward you know i have a, a young stepdaughter i just hope that moving forward i guess the next generation not just the girls but also the boys everyone all genders are going to recognize actually the importance of this, the complexity of it and, and how important it is for us to yeah talk about it, think about it and to know when something is wrong. And I think when you said then around trust, start tracking your cycle for three months, it's the most important thing you can do. Can you imagine, I would say to people, if you go to see your doctor for any reason, and you say to them, I've been tracking this for a year, you can see patterns. You can see abnormality. You can, you can recognize change. And I mean, you tell me, Hazel, you're the doctor. If I come and see you as a patient, and I say to you, Oh, I'm just going from memory. So I might say, Oh, I think I've had this symptom for maybe like, I don't know, a couple of months or, you know, usually it's like this, but then sometimes it's different. But if I come to you, with 12 months just in an app and I can just open my phone and say, okay, it's, you know, average cycle length is this, this started to feel different at this time. Often when people first start trying to get pregnant or they think about pregnancy, that's the first time they actually talk to a doctor about uh, their bodies and they don't have any information to share. So yeah, would you say to people like just having, just tracking and just having it there in the background is gonna be useful?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. It's invaluable having that information and, Um, not only does it kind of give us a little flag if something's not quite right so if you have like an abnormal length or it's missing or it's extremely heavy or you're bleeding in between your periods and so that's really helpful it's also really helpful for you to spot patterns and get in more in tune with yourself and there's actually a call for the menstrual cycle to be considered a vital sign just like we would use health status um, like for blood pressure, temperature, heart rate, breathing rate like when you come through the doors of a hospital we will take those um, measurements but can you imagine in a future where we ask you about where you're at in your menstrual cycle and how it's been because if you turn around to me and you're like I actually haven't had a cycle for three months that is a huge red flag Or it's been really heavy or I've been bleeding between my cycles or actually I've noticed that I'm having this really debilitating symptom every time I have my period that's such invaluable information and tells us so much about your body and so much about your health
0: yes so empower yourselves empower yourselves with this knowledge please if it's getting the female factor book obviously great place to start but also yeah there's lots of apps there's lots of apps that you can download for free where you can start uh, keeping track of your own data and also wearables. Wearables are something that I talk about a lot and I you know work with different companies uh, looking at how health innovation and, and wearable technology, not just from fitness, but across overall health is going to potentially impact and change a lot of things in the in the next decade. Mm-hmm. So if you have a wearable device, a lot of them actually now have different things that you can use to also sync up with some of these apps. So I think you've probably got the message from me. I can't overstate the importance <laughs> of this. And if you are a male listener, and or you're someone who doesn't ovulate, who doesn't have a menstrual cycle, as I say, don't discount this information for the others in your life. It's I'm sure they I'm sure they would welcome a conversation, and they'd probably be uh, yeah really pleased actually to to feel so supported by you. So the last thing I'll, I'll ask you Hazel about the book, I suppose. Well, actually two things. You mentioned that you're a nutritionist people know you for your wonderful recipes online and in your previous books so people might be surprised to see there are so many recipes in this book why did you want to include recipes and how i guess how important is the foods that we eat in relation to all the things we've discussed
1: yeah absolutely and um, people know me best for food and my first two books were nutrition books with recipes and so the reason i wanted to include it is because i am a huge believer in the power of nutrition and food in supporting our health and i the book for people who don't haven't read it um it's basically separated into four main pillars nutrition movement sleep and mood and in each section i talk about how those core pillars um are affected across a female lifespan so from puberty during pregnancy, after pregnancy, and through the menopause. And nutrition is one of the really core components there because, you know, all from puberty we have different nutritional needs to to men. You know, our iron requirements increase um, once we start menstruation. And then, you know, we know that there's certain nutrients that are really important for supporting women with PMS, like um, calcium and vitamin D. Um, Around pregnancy, we know that there's certain foods that we need to include and certain foods we need to avoid. And during the menopause, there are certain nutrients that can help support menopausal symptoms. So we can actually use nutrition as a therapeutic um, kind of approach when it comes to our health. Um, The recipes aren't prescriptive. I'm not that kind of nutritionist where I'm like, eat this, it will cure that. I wish I could say that, but that's just not how food works. But I highlight in the book kind of which new, which um, recipes are higher in omega-3 and iron and those core um, nutrients that are really important for female health.
0: Fab. And as, as always, they're just delicious, beautiful, colorful. (laughs) And it's always great to, I think for me, I'm someone, I love food and I love to cook and I love to eat. I love to share. I love to have nothing more than to have people sitting around my table, eating lots of food. So for me, I always love as well to just try new recipes, grab recipe books off my shelf and just think, okay, let me make something different. Cause we all, I think fall into habits, don't we? Of just getting the same foods that we like or the same uh, things in the supermarket, we know where they are and we just grab our kind of weekly things and we make the same recipes so I think if there is one thing I could say as it's the start of the year one thing to add into your life to to try something new all that jazz maybe just a simple thing but try a new recipe every week you know try a new recipe try a new food try uh, a new flavor combination just just mix it up
1: yeah I am very much behind that kind of advice regardless of whether you're a man or a woman it's so important that we also increase like the amount of variety of foods in our diet and I'm definitely when I'm busy I will stick to the same meals because I'm like it's easy I know what I'm doing but if you can make like little tweaks and like you said even if it's one new recipe a week that is one meal where you're trying that's new and it's probably including ingredients that you rarely use yes and using things
0: up that is my new <laughs> mission that's my especially obviously oh my gosh the house post-christmas i was like we are not wasting food we are using everything so we made some uh, very interesting dishes actually where i just basically any vegetable i could find i would just dice it up fry it in a pan with some eggs and onions and rice and i mean we had the most exotic fried rice dishes you can imagine <laughs> because it was just basically any vegetable goes let's chuck it in uh, so yeah mixing it up big fan of that Right. Okay. So we're going to talk about the power hour. Now, because I said at the start, you've been on the podcast, this is the third time. And if you haven't already, then go back and listen to Hazel's previous episodes because they were wonderful. And so we've talked about the power hour and we've talked about your power hour. But I always like to hear and remind myself and others of the importance of the morning, the first hour. And some, And as I know you're someone who's intentional about this, I thought we could maybe do like a bit of a winter edition. Because mm. let's be honest, it's very different in the summer when we just open the curtains and the sun flies in and we're all just like up with the birds. So... <sighs> Winter edition of The Power Hour with Dr. Hazel Wallace. Can you tell <laughs> us, Hazel, at the moment in January, how does your morning start? Typically what time and what does the first hour of the day include?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I love this question and my power hour tends to evolve without me really intentionally changing it. Um, and so it was really helpful for me to reflect on this today. But I have come back from three months of traveling and working remotely. And I spent some time in Bali and then Dubai. And I was with my boyfriend and our morning routine involved spending the first kind of half hour to hour together, getting a coffee and going for a walk. And when we came back to the UK, which was at the very end of November, and we came back to really cold weather and it was really dark, I, I said to him, can we please keep our, even if it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes together in the morning where we have a coffee before our workday starts. So we still do that. So 6.30, we both get up. He likes doing a two minute cold shower. I just can't. Um <sighs> So I get on the coffees and then we do at kind of we just have 20 minutes where we're just being chill, um, chatting about what's coming up in our work day and just random other stuff. And then I tend to start work at seven. Um, it's not my proper work day, but it's my first hour of the day where I get out my journal um and I map out what's coming up that day, what I want to achieve, and I might also do some other um work that is working on kind of personal development whether it's journaling or whether it's me working on the course because I'm my most productive very early in the morning um, and it means if I get like a good hour done then afterwards I'll go to the gym and that might kind of hang over past nine o'clock and I don't mind because I've already done a good solid hour of work so yeah typically coffee an hour of solid work and just planning And then I go to the gym or I'll go for a run. And that's typically how my morning looks now
0: and I like that I like that idea of doing a little bit of work then going to do your workout knowing that as you said you've kind of got some things out nothing's no one's waiting for you Mm because I think often when people say to me they'll say oh I want to exercise in the morning but I don't have time because I've got you know so many things to do and it might be that yeah getting to work or kids or whatever but I like that idea of kind of because for me that would almost be like switching it around you know doing uh you know a workout a little bit later on but actually getting some of those things like out of your inbox or off your to-do list first so yeah maybe I'll I'll give that a try as well in the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, I just I think also, you know, it you've because it's so quiet in the morning in terms of inboxes and you know it feels like the world is still at asleep. I can just kind of go into a zone whereas I find it very hard to go into a working zone at like 2 pm in the afternoon when I'm like just had my lunch, the kind of surroundings are busier, I've got like a busy inbox and even if i'm not i don't have my emails open it's like i can almost picture it in the background someone's grabbing my attention so yeah i quite like just working a little bit in the morning and then having a bit more time during the day where i can be flexible
0: yeah and flexibility is key i think so many people now that we've embraced you know hybrid working and so many more people are working from home as their just default go to that also gives you a little bit of autonomy and, and flexibility that maybe you didn't have before. So if you, yeah, always typically thought, well, I have to start work at nine or I have to, of course, if you've got like a, a meeting or something you have to attend, then sure, you have to do that. But it's great actually to be able to yeah get up, do some work and then maybe block out an hour, especially, and I, I know I'm a runner, so I'm in running mode right now, but a mm. lot of people will be adding longer runs to their schedule. And of course, if you are running at six in the morning for half an hour, 40 minutes, that's fine. But if you've got a real long run to do, then often for me i want to be fueled i want to be awake and actually i don't want to run in the dark with you know i have a head torch (laughs) and stuff but it's it's not always safe you know i think depending on where people live you know they'll say to me oh is it is it safe as a woman for me to go running in six o'clock in the morning in the pitch black dark and of course everyone's got to you know decide that for themselves i find it quite a surprising question i've had it a few times on on social media people said is it safe and I'm kind of like "Mm, how can I answer this for you but I think you know you have to make that decision but if you feel safer of course if you feel safer you know going during the day then it might just be like look at your day like a bit of a jigsaw and if you need to move some of those pieces around if you have the flexibility of hybrid working then make the most of it you know make that jigsaw work for you
1: yeah I like that jigsaw idea
0: <laughs> yeah let's move the pieces it doesn't have to be uh you know one size fits all yeah. all right well hazel as i knew i always love having conversations with you on this podcast the listeners love it i've recently joined you on your podcast and i know that's probably going to be coming out pretty soon yes. and also i don't know if it's too late let me know if it's too late for people to get involved but we're also i'm going to be a guest on your webinar um at the weekend on sunday the 8th of january so yeah. is Oh, too late today. people still join no
1: sign up and get involved we have a really great two-hour lineup I mean we've the wonderful Adrienne um who's going to be talking to us and the it's a goal-setting webinar and so we are being really intentional and thinking about ways that we can make our goals last beyond January and also creating goals in a way that um support our mental health and don't add more pressure or stress so I, I'm so excited for this
0: yes me too i actually met with uh, your team and, and kind of went through my contribution and through my slides and through my presentation and this was and it got me so excited i was just like i cannot wait to, to to join the webinar and to dive in so yeah if you want to join that i'm glad to hear that it's not too late you can still sign up we'll leave some information in the show notes um, or you can reach out on social and the webinar is happening on sunday evening sunday the 8th of january So thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Happy New Year. I hope you have a great start to the week, a great start to the month. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks again, Hazel.
1: Thank you.
2: Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?